Okay, today we want to wrap up our, uh, our series we've been doing called This Is Us, and we've been looking at uh, our four focal points as a church and asking ourselves the question about the kind of church that God really wants us to be. So uh, we've done this each week. Would you repeat out loud after me, please? Becoming, Becoming. Serving, serving, sharing, sharing preparing. preparing. One more time. Becoming, Becoming. Serving, serving, sharing, sharing preparing. preparing. Now, we started this series a few weeks ago talking about becoming, becoming fully committed followers of Jesus Christ. And we believe that, yes, God wants us to, to get saved. God wants us to give our heart and lives to Jesus Christ and be forgiven of our sins. But he wants really a lot more than that. He wants us to grow up and become men and women of God, not just believers, but disciples. And if you missed that message, I really encourage you to get that. Then we talked about serving, that God has called us to serve our community at their point of need. When Jesus was here on earth, he walked among the towns, he met people where they were. And we really believe that God has given us as a church that responsibility, which is why uh, we have so many partnerships with Sky Ranch Elementary and WizKids and, and the, the, the YMCA and all of these partnerships we have. It's about God using us to meet our community at their point of need. Last week, we talked about sharing, sharing our faith through investing and inviting. Let me say this. I'm going to say this every, every time until the day I die. You're going to keep hearing me say this over and over again. The church primarily exists for those who are not yet a part of it. The church primarily exists for those who are not yet a part of it. And we talk about the fact that the number one way that God reaches this world for his kingdom is through us. It's through our relationships. And our challenge last week was, God, how can I allow you to use me in my sphere of influence with the people that I'm connected to, to just let your love and your life flow through me? And again, if you've missed any of them in this series, I, I really want to encourage you to either go online and, and, uh, and watch the video or, or to listen to the podcast, because I think these are just really important. Today, I want to talk about another one that, again, I believe vital to the future of the church. And it's around this word, preparing. Preparing the next generation for faith and leadership. Preparing the next generation for faith and leadership. Now, make eye contact. I want to be real candid with you. Of, of all the things that churches do, this is one that we do the worst. We don't do a really good job in most places. I'm speaking collectively now in, church, in the church in North America. We aren't thoughtful about the fact that one of our primary tasks is making sure that we hand off this baton of faith. Um, sometimes we get so consumed with ourselves, we forget that little Gideons and others are, are coming up after us, and we've got to be really, really careful to make sure that this faith we have gets handed off to them. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want, to, I want to talk about us as a church not dropping the baton. Now, this is why this is so passionate for me. When, when I came here 11 years ago um, to, to be the senior pastor, when, when, I, when I came here, th this church was old. It was old. In fact, one of the conversations I had with, with some of the leadership was that Chartel was actually, as many churches are, they were on a death march. They had 
gone over the top on their life cycle as a church. It was an, an older congregation getting older. There wasn't a high priority placed on, on children and young families. And part of the conversation I had with the leadership and, and being willing to come was I, I needed a commitment from the leadership of this church that we would do whatever it took for us to become a church that got younger. Because here's the deal, gang. We're all going to get old and die. Amen? And we've got to be intentional about this. I'm going to talk about this a little later. But that was part of the conversation. And I'm thrilled to tell you that the leadership was on board with that. And over the last 11 years, uh, you know, it's been just fun to watch our congregation getting younger and younger. Now when I walk in the room, I used to be the young guy. You know, now I'm walking in the room and I'm the oldest guy in the room, you know, which is great. I love it that way, and I wouldn't want it to be any, be any other way. Now, what I want to do this morning is I want, I want to make some observations for you, and I want to help you understand why we do some of the things that we do as a church, okay? So if you want to take your sermon outline out of your worship folder, um, you can track along with me. Um, I, w- I want to unpack some of this together just so you understand why this, is, why this is so important and on our hearts. You ready? Here we go. Here's the first thing. Our faith is always just one generation from extinction. Our faith is always just one generation from extinction. Now, this is one of those things I think intuitively we understand, but it's not something that we, I think we pay near enough attention to. Not only is our faith one generation from extinction, don't miss this, gang, because our faith historically has dropped off the map before. In fact, you can find it even, even in the Bible. Let's go open that passage of scripture for me, would you please? From Judges 2.10, read this with me. After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. Now, I want you to understand this because this is what is happening in North America. If you go back and you look, you begin to see how in North America, our church attendance and church membership has declined dramatically through the years. In fact, throw that graph. I got a couple of graphs I want to show you. Throw that up on the screen for me. I want you to look back and you'll see that if you map it back long about 19, on the far left there, about 1945, 1946, 76 million Americans attended church regularly. And I want you to notice how that began to slowly decline until you get to the far right. But about 20 years ago, something dramatic happened. And it just began to exponentially drop off the map to where you can see now below 50 million Americans actually attend on on a regular basis. Um, Throw that up on the screen. Here's here's something that's really scary. uh, In 1998... And to 2000, when they did these surveys, you'll notice that about 90% of the people who were surveyed said they had some kind of connection to faith. They were there when they asked, do you have some kind of religious faith? 90% of the people said, yes, we do. Look what happened. In 20 years, 77% now, 77% say they have some kind of faith. In other words, look at me. The fastest growing religious group in America is the group that say they have none. Let that sink in for a second. The fastest growing religious group in America is the group that say they have no religion. And this ought to startle us into the realization that we have got to be intentional with this stuff. In fact, throw that statement up on the screen. You know, the church will naturally grow older, so we have to intentionally work to stay younger. 
Now, I, I've done a lot of consulting uh, in the church world. In fact, before I came to uh, Chartel, um, I was actually full-time working as a church consultant, uh, helping church plants and, and churches who wanted to do church revitalization. And the interesting thing was this is the number one reason why churches fail, is they refuse to change. It's so interesting. I can't tell you how many conversations I had with congregations where I went in and I met with the leadership and they were dying. They were declining as a church. They could see death was going to come if something didn't happen. And when I began to talk to them about what they were going to have to do, it was so interesting how they, they, they wanted young people to come. They wanted younger generations to show up. They wanted young families with kids. They just didn't want to do anything different than the way they had done them. And if you always do what you've always done, you always get what you always got. And it was so interesting to me, and this, this startled me, but I'm telling you it's true. There are churches that have made the decision that they would rather die than change. Now, right now in the U.S., 100 to 200 churches every single week close their doors. When I came here 11 years ago, when I sat with the leadership, I said, we have to make an all-out commitment to become younger. That means, here's the deal, I will only come to Chartel if you will let me hire right away a full-time children's pastor. Because we're going to have to invest in this next generation. I'm only going to come if you're willing to allow me to create a service that will have music that will appeal to a younger crowd. We can't keep doing church the way we did it in 1950 and expect a 21st century generation to come to church. Does this make sense to you? Now, you're here and you're in the younger service, you know, of our church. So, you know, you, you probably go, well, yeah, that just makes make sense to me. Look at me. You got to get this. You're going to be the older one one day. <laughs> and, and you're going to be, you're going to be one of those. And, and the only way you got to keep this in the back of your mind, you, look at me, you got to hear my heart. I love you, but it's not about you. This is about constantly asking ourselves the question, how do we reach these coming generations? I, I was sharing this in the first service. I, I told the story I know before. 1996, they had the International Youth Convention for the Church of God in Phoenix. They did six regional things the night before the convention launched, and they asked me to speak at one, which was at our church. There were six, 600 young people for a worship service at, at our church and when I got there, it was so funny because when I got out of my car, they had this Christian rock band that was doing music. And when I got out of my car, I could feel the bass, I mean, in the parking lot, you know, and it was like, oh man, you know, and I got up and I kid you not, we were in our multi-purpose building at that time. The front doors, I am not exaggerating, the front doors were bouncing open, the bass. And I went in and there were 600, I kid you not, 600 young people who were all on their feet like they were on pogo sticks. You know, they were boom, boom. And there was a guy, some of the older folks here will remember Ron Patty back in the day. Ron Patty's son, Michael, was leading a Christian rock band. He was up on stage. Jesus! You know, and he was just, I mean, it was, it was, it was just crazy. And I stood in there for a few minutes, and I thought, you know, I've got to speak after this. I think I need to kind of get my head together. So I stepped back outside, and there was a woman who came outside, and she was from back east, and she was one of the youth counselors, and she was fuming mad. And she was out front, and she was pacing back and forth, and she looked at me, and she put her hands on her hips, and she said, do you like that music? And I said, no, ma'am, I really do not. And she kind of nodded. And I said, but I'm going to be honest with you. I love seeing 600 young people excited about Jesus. 
And if that's what it takes to reach this next generation, look at me. I'll put earplugs in. And I will pogo right beside him, baby. <laughs> For about three seconds. <laughs> well, I need your Zumba class. <laughs> yeah. we've, got, we've got to be intentional. The church will naturally grow older. That's just the way it does. We have to be intentional about being younger. Amen. Let me give you another thought when we look at why we do what we do. The best foundation for reaching the next generations is through strong families. When we talk about reaching kids, this is not just a church thing. It really is a family thing. You remember last week I was talking about how you know, it was God's design from the beginning that faith be handed through relationships. And I was talking about the role of families, that we need families who will teach. Kind of what we did with, with Nick and Megan this morning with little Gideon, that that's faith needs to be handed down. In fact, throw that passage up on the screen. Paul write, wrote to Timothy. Uh, read this out loud from Tim, 2 Timothy 1.5. He says, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I know that same faith continues in you. Throughout Scripture, God implores parents to become that man and woman of God they need to be and to be very thoughtful about the fact that we've got to be intentional about handing that faith off. And, and that's why, in, you know, put that verse up from Proverbs. Proverbs 22.6, read this with me. Direct your children onto the right path, and when they were older, they will not leave it. Now, this, this doesn't mean that, you know, for those of us who raise our kids in a church, that our, our kids are always going to stay, you know, that way. Sometimes it, our kids do, do drift. But here's the deal. When we work really, really intentionally about laying a foundation of faith, when we spend time teaching our children of the principles of God's Word, when we, when we read them Bible stories, when we teach them character, when we teach them about who Jesus is, those, we lay a foundation that even if they drift, there's a foundation they can never run away from. It's always there. There is that those thoughts are implanted, that truth is implanted. They can never depart from that. And it's, and it's important. You know, sometimes, and this is one of the things that happened uh, about 30 years ago was families started uh, giving up their responsibility for training children in the faith, and they started putting it upon churches. Now, again, I love what we do here, and we want to help you in a lot of different ways, but we have to understand the primary way that faith is handed off, it is through the families. In fact, let me show you a couple of stats just to show you how important that is. Throw it up on the screen. People were asked the question, would you say that you are a Christian as an adult because a person you grew up with in your household is a check all that applied? Now, look at this. Nearly 60% said, yes, someone passed their faith on to me. Nearly 60% said, you know what? That was a faith. Someone in my household I saw their faith. That faith got passed on to me, 60%. I love this. Look at this next statistic. It said, I'm a Christian despite the sort of Christianity I saw growing up in my household. Now, let me give you the fact behind the fact. You know what this is about? This is about a lot of families where dads abdicated their responsibility. Dads didn't go to church. Dads acted like jerks. And moms taught their kids faith. And so in spite of that, kids said, you know what, some of that, some of that stuck. I, even though I saw, I didn't see it the way that it really ought to be, you know what, I, I, stayed, I stayed with it. Look, look at that. Throw that next stat up on the screen for me. Who influenced your faith? Look at this. 68% said mom, 
46%. There were another 46% that said dad influenced their faith. 37% said grandparents. Look at the top three influencers of faith. Dads, moms, grandparents. Dads, moms, grandparents. Drop one down, a non-relative, 16%. A friend, 14%. You know, we put a big emphasis talking about how friends and other people influence faith. I'm gonna, I'm gonna shout this from the rooftop. I know you think your kids aren't listening. They are. I know you think your grandkids aren't really paying attention. They are. I'm telling you as a parent and a grandparent, the best way we have of holding our children to the faith is us making an intentional effort to pour ourselves into them. That's the number one Way. Now, that's, that's why, and, and this is interesting, men, let me, can I speak to you for a second? Don't minimize your role. One of the interesting statistics has been how important fathers are, particularly, to faith development. Look at this. This was a, 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 a study they did out of, out of Zurich, a, a group, asking the influence of parents. When, when both parents attended church, 72% of those children as adults attended church. When both parents were active and, and regular and so forth in church. When dads only went, 55% of the kids stayed true. When moms only went, only 15%. One of the things that they've, they've, they've realized is the powerful influence of males in the family. Now, here's what I want you to understand. This, this is why we, we appeal to you as fathers, as grandfathers. Don't minimize your role. Again, you don't have to be Bible scholars. You, you don't have to have the Bible memorized. You don't have to have a perfect life. But tell me, believe me when I tell you this, your kids really look to you. When you're reading them Bible stories, when you're sharing about their faith, it was so funny to me. I'm 64 years old, and Saturday, just yesterday, yesterday morning, something happened, and all of a sudden, I flashed back to my father telling me a story about how God did something for him. Even though my father's been dead now for almost 20 years, those things get imprinted on our minds and hearts. Does this make sense to you? This is another reason why I'm just a, a big proponent of men being involved in children's ministry. You know, a lot of times in churches, we talk about, you know, women working in Sunday school or working with kids. I'm going to look you in the eye and tell you, we need men involved in children's ministry. We've got a lot of kids from single-parent homes. They need some male role models who aren't afraid to, to, to show what it means to be a man of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, this is why, folks, when we talk about strong family, this is why you see us always doing classes on parenting, why you see us doing classes on marriage. This is why I work so hard to try to get you to become people who are reading the Bible, studying the Bible, or at least developing yourself, because here's the deal. More of faith is caught than taught. And here's what I know. If I can help you be a man of God, if I can help you be a woman of God, if I can help you become more of that, then more of that is going to flow through you to these kids. It's not just about you. It's about these we influence. Amen? Here, let me give you another reason why we focus so much on this. Ministry to children really is our best chance of changing the world. Yeah, come on. How many of you, when you turn on the news... When you look at what's going on culturally around us, how many of you look at this world and you go, man, something's got to change? Ever said that? Something's got to change. Well, how in the world do you think we're going to change this? Can I, can I tell you something? It's probably not going to be through changing adult minds. I'm going to tell you our best opportunity to change this world really is to, to change kids because they're the ones who are going to inherit this. What if we, what if we can do something for them? 
Now, why, why is that so important? Well, let me give you a few reasons why we focus on kids. One, their, their hearts, honestly, are less corrupt. You know, when you're working with kids, they, they really haven't had time in life to, you know, get neck deep in addictions or, you know, to, to you know, mess their lives up with a lot of other things. You know, kids, honestly, because they do have a certain level of innocence, it's just kind of an easier transition for them uh, into, into a life of faith. Um, you know, you have to teach kids in a lot of ways, you know, to, to, to be evil because naturally they're, they're, they're really not, you know, instinctively that way. Let me give you a great example. This is this the funny story. In Florida, uh, just a couple years ago in Florida, there was a woman, uh, Tawana Jones was her name. They had a warrant out for her arrest. Um, she had been seen with a firearm. She had a, a carrying a firearm illegally. She had broken her probation. She had three or four things. And the police showed up at the front door of the residence where they believed her to be uh, in Florida. And uh, there was a man and two women who answered the door. And when the police officer asked for her, they said, she's not here. Um, you know, they, they assured her, you know, Twana's not here. We haven't seen her. We haven't heard from her. We have no idea where she is. And as they were standing there with this police officer telling him, you know, they had no idea where, a four-year-old walked between them right up to the officer, tugged at his pants leg and said, Tawana's hiding under my bed. <laughs> and the police officer went into bedroom and guess what? There she was, you know. Well, you see, that's why, you know, kids, they're not, they're not that corrupt yet, you know. They don't, they, don't, they don't know how to strategically lie, you know, like that. Um, you know, they, their hearts are, are just not that corrupt. Another thing about kids is that kids', kids minds, they're just more teachable. They're just more teachable. Um, come on, it's just us. How many of you will be honest enough to admit, you're old enough now to admit that you're hard-headed? Yeah. Yeah, how many of you are sitting next to someone? And yeah, and that's him. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, and, and the thing about the thing about kids is that kids kids love stuff. You know, when you teach kids stuff, they they love stuff. And and in fact, a lot of times along the way, there are lessons you know that just stick with them. You know, for life. Come on, how many of you can remember a lesson you learned as a child that you can still remember? Come on. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, this is stuff that we learn. I love this. You you might have saw. It. I thought this was absolutely just so good. Throw that picture up on the screen. There was a, a gal named Haley um, Hassel. Um, school was starting here just a few weeks ago, and her daughter, Presley, had to have, I'm using the word had to have, an LOL pencil bag. Anybody in here have an LOL pencil bag? Yeah, anybody? Yeah. Several of you, that's good. Yeah. yeah. An LOL pencil bag. And they, when, she, when she told Haley that I have to have this, Haley said she went to three different stores before she found one. What a good mom. You know, shop, 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 shop. Finally found a pencil bag. Comes home, you know, as all great parents be, ready to be the superstar now to your child because you found what they really wanted. And she brought the pencil bag home, handed it to Presley. Presley said, everybody in class has one of those now. I don't want it. Throw that next picture up on the screen. And she threw it in the trash. <laughs> threw it in the trash. Now, Haley said in, 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 this, in this post, she said, it was everything I could do not to remove my child's head from her body, you know? <laughs> but she had this idea. She said, okay, fine. So she went into the kitchen and got Presley another pencil bag. Throw that up on the screen. 
she got a Ziploc bag out of the drawer and wrote Presley's pencil bag on it and brought it back to Presley and said, fine, you don't want the LOL bag? You're going to carry this to school every day this year. Presley lost it. No, 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 no. That's okay, mom. I'll, I'll, I'll carry the LOL bag. That's fine. Your mom said, no, 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 no. It's too late for that. You passed on that one. That LOL bag is going to go to some kid who couldn't afford it that'll really appreciate it. You're carrying a Ziploc bag this year. That's your pencil bag. Throw that next picture. Here's little Presley. (laughs) You think Presley's ever going to forget that lesson that she learned? Not a chance. Yes, she'll be in therapy with my wife one day. Yes, we we understand that. Yes. It'll, it'll keep us in business for a while, but what, but what a great lesson, you know? What a great lesson. And when I saw that story, I thought, you know what, this is, this is how it's ought to be. You know, when you begin to lay this foundation and you teach children character and you teach them integrity and you teach them principles of life, they're so much more teachable. When you get to our age, you know, it's harder to instill those kinds of values. Let me give you one more. Their spirits, the spirits of children are a lot more open to faith. They're a lot more open to faith. You know, whenever we do baptisms, um, we often will have several children who are being baptized. And, and I've always thought it's funny that there are some pastors who go, well, children don't count. Oh, no, what do you mean they don't count? Are you kidding me? Do you understand that some of the most formative faith decisions are made by people when they're young? If, throw, this, throw that up on the screen. If I gotta, at what age did you accept Christ? Look at this. 32.1% of the adults asked this question said that they received Christ between the ages of 7 and 11. Another 36.8% said that they received Christ between the ages of 12 and 19. You put that together, nearly 70% of the people surveyed said that they received Christ by the time that they were 19. You know what that means to us? By the time somebody becomes an adult, we've lost them. Statistically, we've lost them. In fact, I thought it was interesting that after age 30, only 4.7% of the people surveyed said that they came to Christ after age 30. Pastor Steve, why in the world does Chartel make such a big deal about children's ministry? Why, why do you say over and over again, I don't care if you serve anywhere, I need people to serve in children's ministry. Why, why is that the one place where we've got to focus? Because here's what I know. By the time you get to be an adult, if we haven't reached you, we're probably not going to. Oh, we'll love you and we'll do our best. But what we know is our best chance at faith comes early. Does this make sense to you? Throw that up on the screen for me, would you please? Luke chapter 18, this is the words of Jesus. Then Jesus called the children over to him and he said to the disciples, let the children come to me and never send them away. Why? Read it with me. For the kingdom of God belongs to men who have hearts as trusting as these little children's. And anyone who doesn't have their kind of faith will never get within kingdom's gates. Kids were a big deal to Jesus. We got to make them a big deal to us. Amen. Amen. Let me give you one last one. We believe that God has strategically placed us 
and called us to groom next generation leaders. We believe that God has strategically placed us and called us to groom next generation leaders. Raising up leaders has been something that for most of my ministry has really been passionate in my heart. And I, and I really think it was for, that was one of the reasons why God brought me back to Chartel. Um, I was here in 1981. I came to Chartel um, out of college from Gulf Coast Bible College in Houston as a youth pastor here. Uh, at that time, the church was located in downtown Oklahoma City right next to St. Anthony's Hospital. In 1983, we built this half of the building, the sanctuary, the gym, the offices, and some of these children's classrooms. In 1983, on Easter Sunday, we opened up here uh, in a community that there was, this was mostly fields back then. What was interesting was two years later in 1985, Gulf Coast Bible College decided to relocate from Houston, Texas. Now, I was a part of that process and they were looking at seven different sites all across the country. They decided on Oklahoma City, and they decided to move three miles down the street from where we're located. And when they built the campus, which is now Mid-America Christian University, uh, Pastor Hader, who was my senior pastor at the time, we were in a conversation. We said, you know what? We don't believe this was by accident. We believe that God has given us a, a place where the college who students who are preparing for ministry and teaching, those who really believe that God wants to use them, that we can play a significant role in helping them to develop and become the kind of leaders that God, God wants to develop. We also believe that, you know what, we, we can't just make it a, a decision to help young people find Jesus. We need to help our young people who are growing up in our midst become leaders of their own rights. We want to help our children find that leadership. That's why when you were looking on stage this morning, I don't know if you noticed that we had a couple of teenagers who were playing in our adult band on Sunday morning. Why do we do that? We do that because we believe that these kids are not only gifted and called by God, we want to, we want to help groom them to become the ones who are going to take over this place. You know, why, why do we spend so much time trying to partner with young adults who, who are wanting to God to use them in various places? Because we believe God has strategically called and used us to, to, to develop them into the leaders. That's why almost every part of our ministry, different ones from worship to youth to children, have interns who are working with them. We're trying to groom them to become what God needs them to be. Come on, you know this. College doesn't nearly prepare you for ministry or any job for that matter. But the opportunities that we can give them here, we believe God has called us to do that because that's how we hand this baton off. I, I love how Paul framed it to Timothy. Throw that up on the screen. Paul said, you have heard me teach him things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Read it with me. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. I wrote this in my notes. I put this on your outline, and I, I just believe it to be true. True leaders don't develop followers. True leaders create more leaders. And that's what we want to be committed to. And that's why I want to say to you, to you, to you young people, we, we want to help you be the best you can be. We really do. We want you one day to be able to stand on our shoulders and reach further than we were ever, ever, ever able to reach, to do more than we've ever been able to do, because we want to give you opportunities that none of us had. One of my endearing moments for me, this last year, I was cross country speaking at an event, and after a service that I spoke at, I was talking with different people, and I had a man who came up to me who said, Pastor Steve, thank you for your message tonight. He said, but I want to thank 
you and your church for what you do for young people. Our pastor attended Chartel when they were in college at Mid-America. And they've said time and time again how much Chartel helped them to become the pastor that they are today. That's music to my ears. Because I don't know about you. But one day, I want to be able to look over the banister from heaven. And I want to see some of these young people with that baton still running hard for Jesus because we cared enough to hand off the baton well. Amen. Preparing the next generation for faith and leadership. Rachel, come on up. I'm going to ask my prayer partners if they would um, go ahead and get ready and just take their places. And and this morning, a couple things. One, I I hope this message has resonated with you, and I hope that there is a hearty amen echoing in your heart, and I pray that you will be open to what God might want to do in and through you, um, whether it be in your family or whether it be as a part of the church, but helping prepare this next generation, and what might that look like from your end? But this morning, as we close out our our time together, I I want to invite you to um, just to a time of prayer. And uh, there may be some of you who uh, have uh, special prayer needs uh, on your heart. Um, Will and Stephanie, do you guys mind coming on up? And uh, maybe you're walking through something and you need somebody to pray with you. Uh, Maybe you have somebody going through a situation and uh, you would like one of our prayer partners just to agree with you in prayer for them. That Uh, I know that a lot of us come with a lot of different burdens, and a lot of times in church we don't have a chance to pray specifically over you, but this is your moment. Rachel's going to lead a song for us, and uh, you can quietly worship and pray right where you are, but this morning, if you'd like someone to pray with you, we have two prayer partners in the back, we have two up here in the front, and any one of them be happy just to pray with you about whatever you might be going through. If you are are a little bit immobile and you can't get out from your seat and or would like someone to come to you to pray with you, if you'll just raise your hand. Our prayer partners, one of them in the back, will spot you and they'll come to you right where you are this morning. Let's make this time a time of worship. You come if you have a prayer need that you would like to mention. Let's pray. Father God, we love you so much. And Lord, we are uh, just so grateful as we sit here this morning uh, because most of us are are here because someone brought us to you. Uh, A mom or a dad, took us to church, a grandparent spoke into our lives, someone somewhere along the way handed us the baton of faith. We have a chance to hand it off ourselves. And my prayer, Father, is that for us as a church, that we will always be the church that is looking to the next generation, that we would be willing to die to our ways, die to our methods, die to our music, give up whatever it is we need to give up in order to reach the generations that are rising up. Father, I also pray for just our people who are here this morning. I I know that there are uh, lots of people who are just dealing with lots of stuff. Father, I pray today that this morning they would know you hear their cry. That whoever they are and whatever they're going through, you see and you care. And this morning that your heart is open to them. So I pray your hand upon their shoulder. I pray they would feel your presence near. 
I pray that you would meet them this morning at their point of need. Lord, we love you. Thank you for our time of worship, we ask. In your precious name we pray. And everyone said, amen.